What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Wherever you go, however you go, for energy on the go, it's got to be 5-Hour Energy. It works fast, it works long, it tastes good, and with zero sugar and four calories, there's nothing holding you back. Fits your pocket, fits your backpack, fits your on-the-go life, whether you're going to work, going on vacation, or just going out with friends. 5-Hour Energy. Energy on the go. For more information, visit 5-HourEnergy.com. Take the baseline out. Uh huh. Uh-huh. 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 Yeah. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hardwood Knox podcast. I am Dan Pavali, coming at you with my co-host Andy Bailey, as we continue to roll through our 2017-2018 season previews. We are stoked to have on Michael Pina of Vice Sports. He's also the co-host of the Big Three podcast, which you should check out as well. How are you doing today, Michael? Good, guys. How are you? I'm fantastic. I am good. (laughs) I'm ready to talk about the Boston Celtics who had, uh, you add two all-stars and somehow have perhaps the most divisive offseason in the NBA, and that's not something that I think would happen a lot when you look at the caliber of talent they brought in. Super strange. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market is your home for huge savings on name brand products. This week, have a fun and delicious start to your morning with Post Nutter Butter Cereal. 19-ounce boxes are just 99 cents. That's a wow savings of up to 80% versus traditional grocery stores. Also, Star Kiss Chunk Light Tuna, 5-ounce cans are buy two, get one free. That's a wow savings of up to 64%. Limit three free. Offers good through March 12th. Grocery Outlet Bargain Market. Strange summer. And, you know, coming off a year where they finished first in the Eastern Conference, it's very unusual for a team that finished that high and went all the way to the conference finals to basically, I mean, they didn't blow it up per se, but it's basically a new team. Yeah, they turned yeah, over a, like almost gonna... two-thirds of their minutes, which I think would have ranked among the top three to four turnover rates in the league last year, roster-wise, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, very strange. Uh, and... Yet the project, projection systems and the over-unders are still very high on this team. And, I mean, they should be if you look at the names that they added. But, I mean, they also lost a lot of – I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this throughout the, this conversation, but they also lost a lot of players who were helpful contributors last season and really uh, spurned them towards the 53-win year that they just had. So it'll be really interesting to see, you know, how good they are. So to me, it's pretty obvious that they added more – just sort of natural talent. Um, but like we've mentioned a couple times already, I, I think the turnover is something that's a real concern. And I'm wondering how long do you think it'll take for everybody to kind of come together? I mean, is Brad Stevens good enough to have this team 
clicking on all cylinders within a month or will they kind of hit their stride at the all-star break? What, what kind of timeline do you think they're looking at? Yeah. I mean, that's a really good question. I don't know if there is anyone who could answer it. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I, I don't believe that there are any five man units that will transfer from last year to this year. Um, their leading scorer, Isaiah Thomas, is gone. Um, one of their key uh, rotation guys who was basically their leader in net rating the last two seasons, Jay Crowder, he's gone. Avery Bradley, who was kind of the longest tenured player before they traded him to the Detroit Pistons to clear salary for Gordon Hayward, he's gone. And uh, I mean, the whole it's going to be really difficult for Brad Stevens to kind of mesh these players, especially when you kind of look at the skill sets. So, I mean, before the trade for Kyrie Irving, who's, you know, the more, the most, in my opinion, polarizing is a pretty good word to describe him. I also think he's the most talented player on the team, but before they made that trade, you kind of threw in Gordon Hayward into the mix and it made sense just because, you know, Obviously, there's a connection previously with him and Brad Stevens. Um, the the basic principles, not the basic principles from his time in Butler, were the same. But the the they they have a shorthand going back from their previous relationship, and I didn't think that it would really take uh, too long for him to adjust, especially when you just look at how the Utah Jazz played last season and and the past few years since Quinn Snyder took over and how the Celtics played last year, just the unselfishness and uh, very handoff-heavy offense. So I didn't really think that there would be too much of an adjustment, but then you throw in Irving, and, I mean, he's kind of the big question mark here and how he fits into what the Celtics, how the Celtics played last year and whether Brad will kind of alter uh, basically everything that the team did to suit Kyrie and how much how much he'll do that and how much will Kyrie kind of have to buy into what the system was. I think that's the big question. And I mean, no one really knows how long that's going to take. You had wrote, I feel like oh, there's, go ahead, Beth. Um, so I, I think there is like reason for concern and in, in fitting Kyrie Irving into what Boston does. I think Al Horford and Gordon Hayward, I'm not sure you could pick two better stars to sort of compliment him as guys who may be willing to take a backseat in terms of scoring to kind of let him do what he wants. I think um, even if I mean, assist numbers definitely show on Horford, not, not as much with Hayward, but they're just unselfish basketball players in every sense of the word. Uh, 100%. Um, I think uh, when you just look at, Horford's ability when he first came in from Atlanta again it's very similar to Hayward coming in from Utah the systems offensively were so similar where he could just kind of slide in um you know they really used him almost identically to how Mike Budenholzer used him uh and really took advantage of his vision and his unselfishness um I think they might have unlocked a little bit more so his three-point shooting, which uh, was, you know, that's just kind of more so how the league is is going, and you want to take advantage of that as much as possible. But, yeah, sure. Uh, You know, you look at Hayward, and he's also 
kind of had to develop into more of a uh, prototypical alpha scorer over the past couple seasons. But that offense and that system in Utah was also very egalitarian. And uh, I don't think necessarily you want Gordon Hayward to be kind of your uh, 1A scoring option if you're trying to win a championship. And so I think when you kind of knock him down a peg to the 1B or the B option, uh, or I should say two, one, one, a two. I don't really know what I'm saying right now, but, but I'm, I'm you, on the same page as you. Okay, good. Yeah. So when you, when you, when you bump him down a little bit, I think that's more of a natural fit for him and, you know, letting Kyrie cook, uh, within the confines of the offense and, and making sure everyone else, um, has a say and has a, has a role. Um, it could be a really explosive offense and a really exciting offense. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see just kind of how all the pieces fit beyond those big three uh, pieces. You you had wrote a piece on Vice, Vice Sports that was fantastic about the Boston Celtics are gambling on a budding supernova in Kyrie Irving. And I think everything you two just spoke to, it kind of points to something that you d- dug into within that piece about this seems like it might be just more of that maybe we're focusing too much on next season and that this seems like it could be more of a move for the future and you're doubling down on trying to straddle two timelines. And one of the biggest and best points I thought you made in there was when we focused on Isaiah Thomas's hip injury, we also didn't really focus on these past two seasons from him, probably not sustainable. And you made that point, which I thought was fantastic, which kind of almost justifies the Celtics. You don't want to say pivot to a different timeline, but it, it kind of justifies them gambling on this trade, particularly when he is working back from that hist injury. So do you view like this roster in that way? I know you're stocked with veterans and they're still going to compete this year, but were the Celtics just more motivated about either waiting out the Cavaliers and the Warriors or just getting to that second timeline than they were in necessarily furthering their current agenda? Yeah, I think when you look at Kyrie's age, just the fact that he's 25 years old, uh, he's not a top 10 player now. Um, You need top 10 talents, though, if you want to win it all. And I think that they view his next three, four years in the league as a really a time where he can develop and become that type of player, Um, that uh, upper echelon uh, megastar type of piece. Um, and just, I mean, when you look at last year's team, it's like something I come back to a lot is how they played in the first round. And if Rajon Rondo did not get injured, uh, I don't think they win that series. And then you kind of look at, um, just the, the, the personnel moves that would need to be made to, get to an NBA finals and win a championship. And, and the, the dramatic overhaul that Danny Ainge did is not that crazy. If that makes any sense. Um, it's like this team was, it did finish first and, uh, you know, it, it, it went to the Eastern conference finals, but they got shellacked when they got there. And I think this trade was more of a move towards the future. Just, Considering Kyrie's age, considering the other important pieces on the team like Tatum and Jalen Brown, it made more sense to kind of let those guys come along naturally over the next few years and uh, become more stable 
productive players when Kyrie was is in his prime. And guys like Gordon Hayward and Al Horford, or maybe not so much Horford, but Hayward will probably be in his early 30s. He'll probably still be a pretty good player. Horford, if he's still on the team, um, I think his game will age okay. But, I mean, a lot can change between now and then. But you, the idea here is basically... Can Kyrie be a top 10 player? And this kind of gives them a little bit of a cushion where you kind of have Tatum and, and Jalen and maybe even Marcus Smart, Terry Rogier, these younger pieces. They can kind of come into their own as well. And that's kind of when the, the, the real core of this team can explode. That was kind of my biggest takeaway to this summer was when you look at where the turnover happened, I know you're getting Marcus Morris. I know you're getting Gordon Hayward, but you get rid of Bradley, you, you get rid of Crowder, and it I guess it says a lot about Boston's faith in Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, and I know a lot of, Jalen Brown's one of my favorite young players, I know a lot of people are low on him, but that was kind of the thing that just took me as disarming, because next to Marcus Smart, you know, Crowder and Bradley are the guys you turn to to help cover up for deficiencies at point guard on defense. And we're just also some of your most active defenders in general. And now you're turning at least one of these kiddies loose because Jalen Brown, I, he, maybe he'll start. He'll probably start. And I know Danny Ainge said Jason Tatum isn't going to play a ton, but you might actually need him to get minutes, especially as a shot creator in some of those second units. So I, I, I guess I was just – I don't view it as wrong. I don't know if it's right, but I was just taken aback by it, how much they seem to dive into to this direction and, and what th- these moves probably say about how high they are on both Tatum and Brown. Yeah, I mean, I could see this team – really taking a step back in the regular season. I thought their over-under number of, I think it was 56, um, somewhere yeah, around enormously there. high. I thought that was absurd. Um, just in, when you talk to people around the team, a guy who we haven't mentioned yet is Kelly Olynyk, and he is he's so key to how they played with, uh, you know, the five-out philosophy. Um, you know, they're still a very versatile team. They have versatile pieces in the front court. Uh, but having guys who uh, can not only shoot three, space the floor for the perimeter players, but also, you know, fake a handoff and attack the basket or uh, pop to the three-point line off a screen and roll. Uh, those guys, I, I mean, Kelly was a very big part of their thing. So they, they uh, losing him could hurt and, and readjusting to a front court that, you know, Marcus Morris, if he's the starting four on <laughs> opening night, like that's not, uh, he's not stretching the defense quite like Olenek is. And um, so it's just a lot of adjustment here with a lot of different pieces. And, uh, you know, Aaron Baines is also another guy where it's like he's not, I mean, he's an okay mid range shooter, but he's not space on the floor like Kelly Olenek did, or even Amir Johnson, who. You know, you didn't want him shooting threes, but he could, and he could, uh, you know, finagle handoffs on the perimeter a little bit, and he was a great screen setter. So uh, it's going to be an interesting adjustment, but, like, all these all these players, all these pieces are kind of going to have to learn each other's tendencies at the same time. So when I look at continuity across the Eastern Conference, I think people might be sleeping on the Washington Wizards a little bit. I think people might be sleeping on the Toronto Raptors. I saw Kevin Pelton's uh, projection for the Raptors was like sixth in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I I think they're going to be a pretty good team. I know they lost some pieces in their bench, like Patrick Patterson, but I think they'll be a really good team. 
so I don't necessarily think that the Celtics are just a shoe in to be, you know, the one seed or even the two seed in the East this year. But I think that their ultimate ceiling, just because of, you know, the, the, the talent level, as you said, Andy, at the beginning, the talent level is, is, has increased. And I think that that kind of raises their ceiling in a seven game series, but the regular season could be, it could be a little dicey. So I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, you mentioned Marcus Morris. Dan talked about Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. One of my favorite things happening in basketball right now is this trend towards positionless basketball. And I think that Brad Stevens um, is as much driving that as, as any coach in the league. He even came out and said that he's kind of over traditional positional names. And I, I feel like this uh, roster that they've overhauled this summer is – is almost more fit to play that way um, than it was last year. I think they have a lot of guys that can play two, three, four. Um, what is it about positionless basketball that you think Brad Stevens finds so appealing, and, and how does it help Boston win games? I think you start on the defensive end, for sure. I mean, it's no secret that the team that has been dominating the league the past few years is the Golden State Warriors, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, when you throw D- Draymond Green at the five and then you have big guards like Sean Livingston out there and you have Andre Iguodala. And, you know, these guys can switch multiple positions on the perimeter. But then also once you get a stop and you grab a defensive rebound, just about anybody on the team can push it without having to outlet to a guard. So uh, you can attack and transition easier. And then we all know that uh, it's easier to attack in the open floor than it is in a half-court setting. So I think that's a, just a, a massive part of it. And, and the Celtics last season were – they tried to be as positionless as possible, but they were so small that it was very difficult. Avery Bradley – It's kind of hard know, he, with Isaiah Thomas. Yeah. It's, Isaiah makes it very difficult. Uh, I, Avery Bradley, who's 6'2", yeah, he makes it hard. Um, great one-on-one defender, but you know it's 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 difficult. They didn't really necessarily want to switch all the time with someone that small. Marcus Smart was playing the three. He's six four, uh, also a wonderful man-to-man defender. Uh, but you know, it's just it's difficult to do something like that and, and switch without creating mismatches uh, that the other team can exploit. So I think. When you look at the team this year, they'll be able to switch a little bit more. I think when you add uh, the height that they did, so if we start, if they start Jalen Brown at the two and Hayward at the three, uh, and you know the front court will still be as small or even smaller than it was last year if they play Horford at the five, who's not a great defensive rebounding big, but you kind of make up for it, I think, elsewhere on the roster with 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 Brown and Hayward and uh, you know pieces like that and even Kyrie to be frank who's a much bigger body than Isaiah Thomas was so I I, I think if 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 you kind of are more level in uh, other parts of the of a five man unit I think not only can you switch but I think their defensive rebounding will be a, a little bit better um, I mean offensively when we look at you know positionless basketball. It's more of a how many guys can play make, how many guys can run a pick and roll, how many guys can shoot, how many guys can attack the rim, how many guys can draw fouls. Uh, I'm not so sure 
how many how many guys in this team can do that? To be honest, I mean, you got Kyrie. Um, I, I think Jalen is a question mark. Jason Tatum's an obvious question mark. Uh, Terry Rozier is a question mark, despite his. I, th- I thought he had a really good postseason, but um, really struggled uh, off the bench last year for much of the regular season. So I think in terms of just initial shot creators and playmakers, it'll be kind of interesting to see how they do it. But uh, Brad Stevens kind of prioritizes the defensive end, and I think that's why he's so in love with uh, you know uh, deploying positionless units as much as possible. What do you think they kind of do in the middle, I guess, in those situations when you're going to rip out Al-, Al Horford off the floor? Like, is this a situation where we can see, I, I hope I don't butcher his name, but like, shimmy O'Jelly gets on the floor just because he's such a big body <laughs> so you know like i, I don't like i honestly I, I look at it because you're not going to put bane like if you're looking to run position yeah yeah uh yeah gershon yabusele uh, i believe is how it's pronounced oh um, no i was talking about uh oh i threw out yabu that was me Oh, yeah, I, oh. I threw out the other one. <laughs> oh, Semi Ojale? You, you said Shemi Ojale, Dan. Okay. Sorry, I, I, I was pronounced things Shimmy out of whack by like jumping in there. Well, you should call him Shimmy. I'm gonna. I'm actually about to... <laughs> I'm actually looking now at the pronunciation on basketball reference. It looks like Shimmy Ojale is what the pronunciation description is. Well, gave. if it isn't, it should be. Yeah, no, that's a much better. Semi. That's fine, too. I like that. <laughs> yeah. Um... Yeah, those, uh, I mean, it'll be really interesting to see kind of like what uh, Aaron Baines' role is on this team. Uh, I was talking to someone in their front office at Summer League right after they signed him, and he kind of thought Baines was more of uh, kind of replacing Tyler Zeller as just like a insurance big. I, I, I thought his role would be a little bit uh, more, I thought he was going to start personally, but I guess that's probably not the plan at this point. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what Aaron Baines does. Is he going to be the backup five or, you know, playing Semio Jelly <laughs> um, as a backup five and someone, if you're really trying to switch everything, I think that that's kind of what they really love with him, just his strength. His biceps are just, I mean, they are tree trunks and I think he can play right away. I think he's, I think he's 23, 24 years old already. Um, so he's an old, yeah, he's 22 and almost 300 days. Okay. Uh, so he's, he's an old rookie. Uh, and yeah, they also have Daniel Theus, who is, I think he was the defensive player of the year in Germany. Um, a couple of years ago or last season. So it'll be. It'll be interesting. They have a lot of options, and um, uh, you know this might be a thing where Brad Stevens kind of mixes and matches throughout the year, trying to find combinations. Uh, he's probably going to tinker more so than be stagnant, and uh, it'll be really interesting to see kind of what direction they go in because if you can play, uh, you know, a true small ball five. Uh, with regularity and with success in the regular season, then that's that's a huge advantage. I think they might get killed on the boards if they do this, but I I don't hate um, Marcus Morris at the five in short spurts. I think he's allergic and then to you defensive have a, rebounding, though. <laughs> well, you'd have to rely pretty heavily on like Hayward and um, even Jay, uh, Jason Tatum getting some rebounds coming off the perimeter. But like I said, it would be short, short spurts. 
But I, I think offensively, they could be really dynamic in lineups like that. Yeah, I 100% agree. Um, I, I, I think Morris, uh, I mean, his defensive rebounding numbers kind of took a hit just because I think this has been said multiple times by multiple people, but playing besides uh, Andre Drummond the last couple seasons doesn't do favors for your, your rebounding numbers. Yeah. Um, so we'll see how how he performs. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's another option I think that they have in certain against certain opponents. And you know they have guys on their team who can play big. Uh, Marcus Smart is, you know, he's. I claim he's a power forward. Yeah, <laughs> it's he is truly a positionless basketball player. Um, yeah, he can really guard and get really physical with some of the bigger guys in the league. We saw what he did a couple seasons ago against Paul Millsap in the playoffs. He's they've thrown him at Kristaps Porzingis before. Um, so he's, he's a, an interesting X factor on the defensive end. Um, I, I, I'm just really excited to see what they do. I have, I have no idea. I, I it's, it's gonna, it's like a, a science lab, roster right now when you just look at it and see that there's really no clear-cut positions for a majority of these guys even jason tatum who i i mean he could play anywhere between the two and the four this year um in the sparing minutes that he does get on the floor so it's 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 a really intriguing roster for sure marcus smart so uh, just interesting because obviously he's going in a contract year if he assuming he doesn't get an extension and now it feels like you absolutely can't lose him almost like i know you have kyrie irving but you need you know bradley and, and crowder are gone you decided not to draft markel fultz like it seems like you need that bigger defensive presence toward leaning more towards the backcourt and i'm not necessarily sure who you'd want defending point guards or floor generals on most nights without him and i, I like you said there's obviously just this versatility in a vacuum where it's we'll line him up at the one through four and we'll throw him on these big tall asparagus spears if we have to yeah i it's gonna be i mean to be honest i think that they're expecting Kyrie to really up his play on the defensive end this season and i i don't know if that's possible um i i don't know what his ceiling is as a defender um uh, particularly you know if he is gunning for like the scoring title which he very well could be this season um but smart yeah you i mean he can he, he can defend point guards for sure uh, he's incredibly difficult to screen on the ball uh obviously feisty uh, um and very physical but i don't i I don't know. I don't really know what his role is going to be this season. I don't know if he, how much time he'll spend uh, with the starters if they want to utilize him as the backup point guard. Um, it's it's like it, I think a lot of his playing time this year might come down to yes, they need him on the defensive end, and yes, he provides all these different uh, pluses that are not uh, cannot be calculated on a box score. Uh, but he really needs to be able to space the floor. Uh, I think that this team this season will 
really beat teams on the offensive end more so than the, the defensive end. I think uh, as as switch happy as they could be, uh, defense could be a little bit of a concern this season, given the players that they lost last year, and you know the fact that this team wasn't exactly. Uh, a top five defense or anything like that. I think they took a step back last year in the defensive end, but so it'll be, it'll be interesting to see kind of what smarts role is and how he is, how he can evolve on the offensive end and uh, kind of uh, validate his playing time. Um, so the other player that's interesting to me on this roster, and we've kind of circled him around a bit, is it's rookie Jason Tatum. And even though Danny Ainge, again, has said that he's not going to play enough minutes to be in the rookie of the year conversation, you're not expecting that on a contender. I just, does the, in retrospect now, like does the logic behind kind of trading down still make as much sense when you know you have Kyrie Irving coming in? I just, I don't, I wasn't as high on Tatum as much as a lot of people when he was coming out of the draft and I I don't I guess they he is that you know that offense guy who can really create it from scratch I just does he have a higher ceiling as a defender you said he could play the fours I guess is that realistic to expect him to do is he going to improve kind of as this passer and the go-to comparison for some people was Harrison Barnes when he was coming out who's always kind of struggled uh, even in Dallas when he had the ball in his hands a lot more before uh, their situation got better. He just kind of struggled as a passer. And I just don't know that I see a player. And I, again, it's it's so early. He hasn't even played a minute in the NBA. I just don't know that I see a player that I guess would have been worth making that dice roll. And then I almost question what his fit will be like long term beside Kyrie Irving. Yeah, I don't. I it's it's tricky. I mean, uh, my exposure to Jason Tatum is limited to what I saw at summer league. Uh, I do not watch college basketball at all, really. Um, and just talking to people around the team, I mean, the Celtics love them. Uh, they are not huge fans of the way he gets buckets in terms of, you know, his shot distribution and, um, they Twitter don't sure want... loved a lot of those fadeaways. Yeah, they were pretty. <laughs> they were pretty for sure, but that stuff is just not sustainable yeah. offense, and it doesn't get anybody else going, and it can really drag you down. So, uh, especially as a rookie, I I'm, I have no idea what to expect from him. I would think that they'll go the route where you know they really value his size and his length i think right now at this point more so than his ability to score off the dribble in from the mid range uh, so i would imagine that they're going to you know slot him in the corners as they did with jalen last year have him be a spot up threat as best as he can maybe attack closeouts a little bit but if he can't bring it on the defensive end and if he's making mistakes on rotations he will not play period that's just not like that brad stevens just does not play guys who make defensive mistakes like that. So uh, his rookie year will be interesting. Uh, with regards to the trade for Fultz, um, where I see it as making sense is, I mean, you you basically... So, I mean, they everyone you talk to on that team says that Tatum, they would have taken him with the one, with the first pick. And, you know, if that's true... The logic makes a lot of sense, right? You you take 
a player that you think is going to be the best and then you also add a valuable asset and you know do in adding that asset you were more comfortable dealing the Brooklyn pick for a guy who Danny Ainge thinks can be a top 10 player for the next five years and Kyrie Irving. So you still have an incredibly attractive uh, trade ship. And so that's where the kind of the logic, uh, I don't really kill the Celtics for making that deal. I understand it is a gamble, um, but adding another asset down the line, especially when, you know, it's as we talked about earlier, I think this team is, really trying to dominate the NBA in 2019, 2020, 2021, more so than, uh, you know, this year they're trying to win it all or anything like that. I mean, they, they could, but it's very unlikely. Um, so, yeah, that's where I stand with that. But I don't know, going back to just Tatum's role on this team, uh, I don't know how he's going to fit. I don't know if he'll play a lot. Uh, I think, you know, if his, if he can utilize his length on the defensive end, if he can rebound, uh, then that's great, and he'll get minutes. But if not, uh, I don't see it happening. The other young wing um, who's who could be relied on for some heavy minutes this season is Jalen Brown, and I I just looked up his splits uh, a couple minutes ago. He his average jumped three points. His scoring average jumped three points after the All-Star break. Rebounds went up one, doubled his assists. Uh, his field goal percentage went up 7%. His three-point percentage went up 7%. Like, uh, long way of saying he was a lot better after the break than he was before. Do you think that improvement sort of carries into his second season? How do you feel about Jalen Brown, and, and what kind of a role is he going to have? I think Jalen's role will be similar to kind of what it was last year. I don't think that they want him necessarily running pick and rolls. Uh, I don't think they necessarily want him uh, posting up too often. These, these are kind of the things that he clearly wants to do. He wants to create his own offense a little bit more. I think they'll have him corner crash as they did last year. Um, they'll have him hopefully be able to step up and use his athleticism as uh, a if not a shutdown defender, someone who they can reliably throw on the other team's top scoring option and not embarrass himself for uh, you know eight eight minutes at a time. Um, so that's his role. I mean, they want a guy who uh, can complement Hayward and Kyrie and even Horford to a little a smaller degree, uh, more so than get his own and Im improve his numbers. Um, I don't expect his numbers to make a drastic jump beyond maybe just minutes played. Um, so like the basic numbers might go up, but um, yeah, I, 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 I see his role as just kind of what it was last year. Uh, I think he'll play more with, uh, starting caliber players, which will make him look better, hopefully. Uh, but uh, yeah, besides that, it's it's um, we don't really. I, I I wouldn't expect him to break out in any sort of way where you're kind of looking at his game and saying, oh, he added this to his game over the summer or anything like that. I think 
his defensive contributions and his contributions on the glass will be the the primary indicator of how his how successful he is in helping the team win games. Well, one thing he picked over the summer picked up over the summer at least is the flat earth theory. So maybe he'll take that with him into the season. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh God. Kyrie already toxic in the locker room. Is this just um, a, I guess this is ahead, just yeah. a matter of I, I mean, Michael's pointing out just like a ton of good questions and we haven't even really gotten into the impact Hayward has on this roster, but it seems like for all these kind of hit or miss situations, and we went into this territory a little bit on the Heat podcast where it's just, oh, you have Eric Spoelstra who will tie it all together. Having Brad Stevens seems like it's just going to make a world of difference with all these players, especially because now it seems like with the comments he made about thinking classical positions are basically dead, uh, that this roster is tailored for him. So it's all, you look at players and you know, like like Michael said, like, oh, Jalen Brown, I don't know if you look at him and say his game jumped, but maybe it's just so much more valuable on the Celtics because it's under Brad Stevens. Uh, you have Gordon Hayward on the offensive side now, which I think is going to make a huge difference, and even said probably just the selfless, selflessness from him and Horford that makes them great compliments to Kyrie, and then even the added element, the team that you're quote-unquote chasing right now, the Cavaliers, uh, Irving's going to have an incentive to be kind of locked in against them. I don't know that Cleveland can come close to even matching the versatility Boston has on the wings right now. And I, I wouldn't pick this team to come out of the East. And I'm with Michael that I think they're going to win fewer games than people are predicting right now during the regular season. But it seems like once you get to the playoffs and you look at how they match up with anyone in the East, that by that point, because of who they have in charge with Brad Stevens and because, again, there, there's Gordon Hayward and because of what could happen with some of these young players where even if a couple things break right, maybe they are that uh, matchup nightmare. Yeah, I think Gordon Hayward is – I wouldn't say that he is underrated. I would say he might be just a little bit overlooked, uh, you know, after the Kyrie trade and – uh, his infusion on this team and how everyone's trying to uh, predict uh, how he'll fit in Brad's offense and what his, uh, you know, how explosive he he will be. Um, I think Hayward is just a super solid all-star player who might even be, who gets better every year, who might be the fourth or third best player in the Eastern Conference when we look back at this season. Uh, what the Celtics have going for them that they didn't have last year is you... I mean, basically whenever Isaiah Thomas hit the bench, the offense died. And I think this year you have a situation where I know that the Cavaliers really struggled when LeBron was not on the floor and Kyrie was. Uh, but you have a situation where if Kyrie were to take a seat, you could have Gordon Hayward uh, run a, a, an offense against an opposing team's bench unit and vice versa with Hayward sitting and Kyrie running the show in what may be just you know, a more polished offensive system as opposed to him going one-on-one uh, -on -one and isolating whenever he wanted in Cleveland. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, I, I think that these – two guys and, and and just how they complement one each other one each other will be interesting and as i said before i think that the the ceiling on this team kind of raise, raises up in the playoffs because you can stagger these stars but then also as we all know like 
Kyrie Irving in a playoff series is unguardable, and it may just come be, come down to him being a human fireworks display for four games in a row or something like that, and there's nothing you can do. So it'll, it'll be really interesting to just, just see how it all plays out. The other member of the big three that we haven't spent a ton of time on yet is Al Horford. I like um, how you glossed over his Hayward comments. You still salty about him leaving Utah? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. <laughs> I'm actually really curious. I'm, I, I'm very intrigued um, by his fit in Boston. I agree with everything Michael said, too. I think those two complement each other really well. The thought I had on Horford... He's, he's kind of divisive, too, in certain circles. I mean, there are people who kind of scream and shout about his lack of rebounding and just <laughs> he's he doesn't really fit. Call them um, idiots. Yeah, that, I mean, that's basically where I'm headed. Um, a lot of people <laughs> see centers nowadays, you have to be like the rim-rolling, um, paint-protecting, super-athletic big guy who dunks everything. Al Horford... I think he's every bit as impactful as those guys. He just does it in a different way. And I, I just think he's critically important um, to how good Boston will be this season. Um, are you on the same page as me? It kind of sounds like you are. I love Al Horford. Uh, and, you know, he was killed <laughs> last year throughout much of the regular season in Boston specifically just because his – her game numbers were not very impressive and you know the team would get which be is getting like the killed. end all be all for a lot of people still <laughs> it's a, and it's only it points is. per game too yeah. it is it's it's very it's silly i mean he would get he would have 12 and 8 and the celtics would you know they would crush when he was on the floor and it was because he's one of the best Screen setters in the league still. He is a, an excellent communicator on the defensive end. He can de- you can deploy just about any type of pick and roll defense with him. He can switch a little bit. Uh, he can uh, hedge. He can drop. Uh, he is such an intelligent basketball player uh, and makes everyone around him comfortable. Uh, he's a great locker room presence. I can go on and on about Al Horford, and he has no problem. Uh, you know, basically, he signed, and he was kind of the the dude. He was supposed to be the guy last year. He signs the max contract in Boston, and like, it's no coincidence that Isaiah Thomas exploded uh, when Al Horford came to town. He was, I mean, the way that he freed Isaiah just with screens, the way he, you know finds him like with just he's in my opinion he's probably the second or third best passing big in the nba uh and having a player like that who is you know not really looking to score in the post or at all like that and rarely looks for his own shot is incredibly valuable on a team with someone like Kyrie right now who will be looking for his own shot a lot. And you want players around him who do not care. And Al Horford does not care as long as you win the basketball game. He's one of my favorite players to watch, and his passing is is just absurd. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why maybe – and I wasn't the biggest fan of the Kyrie trade. Again, again, your article had a lot of sway with me when I looked at it from more of the future perspective. But I, I just think he's one of the reasons why the fit could be more seamless than we think. Um, I do just wonder, because you want to give him a chance to kind of run 
the offense from the elbows. You want to give Gordon Hayward a chance uh, to play that point forward role. My biggest question still with this team is there was all the talk about Kyrie Irving wanting to be more of an alpha option, and now you're playing next to two really good passers who need the ball as well. Um, so maybe that dynamic gets a little tenuous. But I think Horford makes anything everything easier because if you're not going to have him run the offense, you know, from from the elbows, I, he probably won't even care. Like he'll he'll resign, I guess, to corner duty in situations if he needs to, or just sending screens. And and it's like you said, having a guy like that, uh, I don't think you can really overstate his value. And and the boo birds in the playoffs were just were really funny for criticizing him for not getting rebounds and saying Robin Lopez outplayed him it was that was one of the more hysterical things to happen this past spring yeah i mean when you move horford to the five it was i mean that's what i know rajon rondo uh suffered an injury broke his thumb and that turned the series a little bit but also what turned the series was putting horford at the five inserting gerald green and then basically running these flat screens with horford dragging Robin Lopez out 30 feet from the rim and letting Isaiah just go to work. And you have to go up and chase because Al Horford can shoot threes now. And against the Wizards, he, I mean, he made basically every single shot he took. And that's part of the reason why I joke with my Wizard fans friends who, I mean, it's like the Celtics probably had no business winning that series. When we get down to it, it was just Al Horford was a maniac. Um, So that's incredibly valuable. You need guys. It's it's really hard to find guys who can protect the rim, who can be versatile, uh, and who can shoot threes. Those are kind of, uh, you know, arguably the most important type of role player in the league right now. So the Celtics are really lucky to have one in Al Horford. And I'll, I always have a soft spot for passing bigs, too. I mean, I agree with everything that both of you guys said. And to, to me, the biggest thing is just... I think they open up so many possibilities with the way that he passes. Um, so good. We're all in agreement on Al Horford. <laughs> Sounds like for the most part, this has been a, uh, a very positive look at the Celtics. Um, we talked a little bit about turnover and maybe some of the problems that that might cause. Um, what do you think record wise, uh, like the worst case scenario is for Boston in the regular season? Hmm. Worst case. And what does it look like? I mean, what things go wrong to get to that point? I mean, I would say the worst case scenario for this team is probably like 48 wins, 47, 48 wins. Um, The third or fourth seed would probably be, you know, a worst case scenario. I mean, I couldn't see them dropping any lower than that, to be honest, just in large part because the conference that they play <laughs> that they play in is a yeah. total disaster. Uh, so that really doesn't say much about them so much as their competition. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if they still have, I mean, if they have severe problems matching up with the Raptors again this year, as they did last season, because they were too small, I think losing Avery Bradley could be a a real issue in certain matchups against certain teams. Uh, if Kyrie is you know as bad on defense as he's been over the past few years, and they don't hold him accountable in Boston, so that would be probably the the, the worst case scenario. Um, yeah, I don't. 
I don't know. I, 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 I'm personally kind of expecting them to struggle a little bit during the regular season. So it would be kind of a pleasant surprise if they went end to end as uh, kind of the preeminent team in the conference. I still think that it goes through the Cavaliers dramatically. So um, even if uh, Isaiah is not healthy until whenever it is, he comes back so long as he's back by the spring. I think that the Cavaliers just, I, I, I just can't bet against LeBron James and I just won't. So, so <laughs> that's um, where I've come to. I've, I've gotten to that point. <laughs> same Z's. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I know this isn't a Cavs podcast, but I'm kind of starting to think that, uh, you know, his impact on guys like, like if anyone in the in the world can make Jeff Green and Derrick Rose look good right now, uh, it's LeBron. So I would be I would be scared of those guys kind of uh, looking like real NBA players all of a sudden and kind of surprising everybody. But um, yeah, so with the Celtics again, it kind of just goes back in the playoffs. I think that their ceiling is higher than it was last year, uh, dramatically so, uh, and. I think in the regular season they could struggle a little bit, and I don't think that anyone should panic because of that. What do you think, Dan? Yeah, obviously I agree with everything he just said has become the rallying cry of this podcast, but I agree with everything he just said. (laughs) Uh, I could probably see them maybe falling to 47. One of the, I guess, ancillary concerns I would have with them is, are they going to be a really good shooting team? Like you look at your guaranteed above average shooters and it, it almost stops with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. And maybe we throw out Horford into there just because he's definitely above average for most fives now, but what's going to happen behind them? Marcus Morris has always been up and down. Jalen Brown's splits were good last year. It seemed like he was semi-reliable in the corner too, but what do you get out of everybody else? Is Jason Tatum going to, give up those junky fadeaways at points if he gets playing time. Marcus Smart is going to shoot threes. Is he going to make threes? He's always fun to watch that, though. So that might be the one additional question I have. But uh, 47 feels like a good floor for this team unless, it, you know, something more sinister happens with injuries. What do you got, Bell? All right, I'm going to be boring and say high 40s, too. Um, <laughs> the more I think about this team, the more I think it's only going to take a month or two for them to kind of – find their rhythm because like I said at the very beginning of this podcast I I just feel like Hayward and Horford fit uh, Irving so perfectly and they're going to allow him to do what he does best Um, and I think they're going to be pretty dangerous so worst case for me again is is high 40s I I do think there's a chance that they fall into that clump of teams in like 3, 4, 5 that would include like Washington, Toronto I think maybe even Milwaukee is able to get into that mix. So I'm not sure where I would place them seed-wise for a worst-case scenario. Um, but, yeah, most likely they're going to, even if things don't go perfectly, they're going to end up with home court advantage. Um, what about a more realistic or, or just sort of your actual prediction? Where do you have them, Michael? Well, wins and uh, seed. Uh, I probably have them around. I haven't actually haven't thought too deeply about this, so I'm just going to pull numbers kind of out of my ass right now. But that's what we I do. Have, that's time, what we prefer. So. Whole podcast is a pull it out of your ass podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. Dude, that that right should now. be the subtitle, actually. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I'll, I'll say my prediction is probably where they were last year, like 53 ish. I think their net rating will be higher. 
Uh, I think their offense will be consistently uh, superior to what it was last year. Uh, I think they'll really struggle. I brought up Kelly Olenek's name earlier in this conversation, and he's just a guy that I, I don't think that they replaced at all, and I'm a little worried about that just because his on-off numbers have been really good throughout his career in Boston in large part because Brad Stevens just loved his skill set and really took advantage of it. Uh, it's a really unique one. So, uh, you know, if Marcus Morris really struggles uh, and doesn't find his shot or find range and teams aren't respecting him and leaving him alone and it's kind of like he is how he is what Marcus Smart was on the team last year, then it could get a little ugly, I think. Um, but overall, I, I, I like the talent level here. Uh, I don't think there's a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference that can match up with them uh, night in, night out, uh, when they'll always have an all-star on the floor, which not a lot of teams in the conference can say. So, yeah, I would probably say, I mean, the ceiling here, I mean, yeah, the ceiling here is probably, you know, the one seed. Um, and 53, 54 wins, I would say. I have a quick question before I throw it to Dan. Um, do you think there's any way Daniel Tice can fill in some of that Kelly Olenek role? He doesn't have a ton of volume from three over in Europe, just about a, a one and a half attempts per game, but he shoots at 37%. Is, is he, I mean, I don't even know if he'll get on the floor, um, but I can't think of many other reasons they would have signed him. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really good question. I'm not uh, too familiar with his game. I was primarily uh, led to believe he was, you know, primarily more so of a, a guy who could protect the rim a little bit, who had a really nice wingspan, good uh, uh, defensive instincts, and could help out on the glass. So I didn't even really, I haven't really considered, honestly, his abilities on the offensive end. Um, I think it's really hard to find, and I would be really surprised if it, it happened. I think it's really hard to replace and find someone with Kelly's uh, ability on the offensive end. Um, yeah, I might be higher on, on on Olenek than a lot of people. I think some people look at him, and you know, the narrative has been either dirty player or goofy player, or you know, a mix of the two. Uh, when I watch him play and, you know, I've watched every Celtics game since he was a rookie and, you know, his, his growth on the defensive end as a positional defender has been really impressive. Uh, he's a big body. He doesn't rebound really. He doesn't really protect the rim, but he kind of knows where to be more often than not. And his impact just as a spacer, as someone who will, uh, you know, stand on the wing behind the three-point line as opposed to the corner, which is where <clears throat> you more more so find seven-footers who can shoot threes. Uh, you know, his ability to, to kind of, uh, you know, create that space in ways that a lot of guys can't do is really rare. His ability to attack the basket and make plays off the dribble for others. He's an exceptional passer for his size. Uh, so I don't really mean to, need to ma- mean to make this kind of the Kelly Olenek uh, <laughs> segment of the conversation, but I think uh, I just I, I I don't know how they how they replace that guy. Well, you're among friends because I told Wes Goldberg on our Heat preview that I think uh, 
Johnson and Olenek is probably their best front court. So they'll, I, I think they'll definitely miss him. Um, Dan, what do you got the Celtics at? Uh, I, I think probably like 51, 52. I just, I can't shake the feeling that they're going to win a little bit less than last year, but they have, and we've run in circles with this, is they have just so much talent that where you look at a team like the Pelicans and you see a wide window where, you know, I, I could see them winning 49, but you could see them winning 30 too. It seems like there's only so many games the Celtics can't win so that if anything breaks right, they should be able to get over 50. So I think 51 and 52 is, is fair. And it's just, you, you talk about the roster, and this might be uh, maybe Brad Stevens. Well, obviously Brad Stevens is going to be a lot better at it than us, but it's overwhelming because of all the options that you go through. Like you have Andy now, we're talking about Daniel Thies, like in all, just all these different yeah. switching combinations, all these different small ball lineups, all these different lineups. What is it going to happen with Aaron Baines? You just get really into it, and and it will be interesting to see kind of how Brad Stevens works through it all, and you can experiment, for, you know, I guess as long as you want this year. But I don't, you know, it's not going to be a thirteen-man rotation every night. I don't think so. It'll be uh, that. That's just it's just looking at them on paper and trying to figure out how they'll play and who will play and and stuff like that. It that's a little overwhelming, and maybe that's where they run into issues with continuity. It's not even that they lost players, but they're going to be just experimenting so much. I just think the talent up and down. You brought two all-stars in, and like Michael said, you're never going to play without an all-star on the floor. Basically, it's tough for me to imagine them winning under 50. What do you have them at, Bales? I'm going to say mid-50s and the number two seed in the East, just because I think LeBron's going to be on a scorched earth. Yeah, I would say two, too. I just feel like LeBron's going to go after that fifth MVP award hard. That's kind of how I feel, too. Um, Unless there's anything else, I think that... That pretty much covers it. Thanks Should we for do Kelly Olynyk's MVP case really quick? <laughs> I think, I think Michael I already it. laid it out very <laughs> yeah. well. Yeah, exactly. Um, thanks for coming on, Michael. Let us uh, let everyone know again where they can follow you on Twitter and where they can find all your work around the internet. Uh, yeah, so Twitter, Michael V. Pina, uh, and you know. <laughs> Everything I write is on over at Vice Sports, uh, so follow me there. And uh, I, I appreciate you guys uh, having me on. This was fun. Oh, we appreciate you taking the time. Well, yep, we absolutely appreciate it. Great takes on the Celtics. Um, you can follow Dan on Twitter as well at D-A-N-F-A-V-A-L-E. I don't usually spell out the first name for obvious reasons, but somehow it's Dan, Dan can be a thinker for some people. You know? <laughs> Does it have the silent Q? Does it not have the silent Somebody Q? should go with the double N. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. As always, we appreciate any sort of ratings or reviews you guys are willing to give us. That really helps in the podcast game. Um, as always, though, we leave you with the obligatory... And, of course, Dan's favorite part of the show, the shout-out to Bino Udri. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Covered California knows that one moment can change your life. That moment you say, I do. That moment you meet your baby for the first time. Or even that moment you lose your job and your health insurance along with it. For those times when life changes, we've got you covered. 
Covered California lets you choose from brand name health plans, and you may even get help paying for it. Your enrollment period is limited, so find out if you qualify by getting free expert help at CoveredCA.com today. Covered California. It's more than just health care. It's life care. The Aaron's AA team makes getting the name brand furniture, electronics, and appliances you need easy and affordable. We're talking top brands like HP, Samsung, GE, Beautyrest, and so many more. Take them home today, then make low monthly payments until they're yours for good. Aaron's great rent-to-own deals even come with easy approvals and free delivery. That's Aaron's, the rent-to-own power of the AA team.